0: Welcome to Actional Insights on the Business of Healthcare, a podcast from Doctivity Health to help you navigate today's challenging healthcare environment. More than ever, business success enables investment in people and technology needed to best care for your patients. I'm your host, David Jolly. Today, we continue speaking with Dr. Glenn Steele, chairman of G. Steele Health Solutions, former president and CEO of Geisinger Health System and chair of the Doctivity Advisory Board. If you haven't yet, be sure to check out the first part of our interview with him, in episode number five. All right, Glenn, let's get back into it. I want to talk about healthcare finance and how healthcare is paid for. You provided some figures to me that I want to share with our listeners. Pre-ACA, the number of uninsured people in the US was a little over 50 million. Post-ACA, that number dropped to 15 million at one point, but it has crept back up to 25 to 28 million. How do you think we can improve the payment system to benefit providers, insurers, and ultimately, patients?
1: Well, I think the first thing is we have to have everybody covered. And back in the day before ACA, I think we had something like 50 or 55 million folks that we were caring for who had no coverage at all. And as providers, there, you know, we were legally as well as morally committed to taking care of any patient that showed up at our door. The only way we could handle that financially was to depend upon the margins that we made from commercial and to some extent of the Medicare margins. If we were really incredibly successful in, in covering our costs and looking at our costs. And so, you know, as a society, we were redistributing from commercial and, and to some extent Medicare to cover the fifty or fifty-five million that would show up at our doors and have, you know, no no resources at all. And that was immoral quite frankly, but, but it also was financially stupid because, as, as everybody knows, when patients don't have resources, they usually end up with disease or problems progressing, and, and quite often their default is to come to the emergency room. And emergency rooms should be designed to take care of real emergencies, not to be a a default place to take care of chronic disease, because usually doesn't get taken care of that well (laughs) when you have intermittent emergency room visits. That's been the problem now. Post-ACA despite all the political kerfuffle and the political divide that's gotten more and more severe over the last couple of decades, we're probably down to around 15 million, 10 to 15 million of folks that that don't have any any insurance at all. And that's a big improvement. There's no question about that. So that's number one. How we do it is a political discussion. And, you know, we don't want to get into that. But there, there would be ways of doing that. The second thing is, if you look at any disease that's prevalent, whether it's heart disease or whether it's musculoskeletal, particularly as we deal with an aging population or or whether it's diabetes or or what have you. There are a lot of inputs into those diseases, whether it's at the beginning of the disease process or at the end, that are social inputs. There's no question. And, you know, this, this falls under the term SDOH, social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced as a caregiver and as someone who's been involved in caregiving on the payer and the provider side for 44 years. And a huge amount of the responsibility for people not having homes, living on the street, not eating right, what have you, is not the responsibility of the healthcare provider or payer universe. But it's been pushed on to us by politicians that don't have the guts to really do the public policy that would affect all those SDOH determinants. Now, I know I'm going out on a limb here, but but I'll bet you anything. And and there are ways for us to help, particularly in the Medicaid population and what have you. And we're incented now a little bit more, we being the providers, to take responsibility for issues in transportation and issues in, 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 uh, in care that has to be provided at the home and what have you. And that's OK. But I do not think that those social problems can be solved by us uh, as healthcare providers or even healthcare payers i think that that's a, a cop out by our politicians so i'll mm-hmm. stop there but it is it is an important aspect of a lot of chronic disease prevalence no question about it
0: well you know i'm i'm, I'm thinking that that reduction at least a portion of that is when people come and present at the hospital that the admissions people there are trying to get them enrolled in Medicaid or whatever they're eligible for.
1: Of course, of course, yeah. there's no question about that. We can we can help, and I'm not suggesting that we have no responsibility. But I do. I've got a, a burr in my hat in terms of having all of this SDOH pushed onto us. That's number two. Number three. I mean, there's no question in my mind that fee for service is easy to analyze. It's, it's easy to do business models. It's easy to understand where you are uh, in your budget process. If you're looking at the provider P&L, it's a lot easier than most techniques that are used in either shared risk uh, or uh, pay for uh, performance or certainly capitation. So the fact that something is easier is probably the reason why it's gonna be hard to move away from fee-for-service totally. But there's no question that fee-for-service, unless it's monitored very, very closely, it will incent over, you know, overdiagnosis will incent over-treatment. And in fact, you know, if you screw up, doing something, whether it's diagnostic or therapeutic, your business model actually improves because you get to charge for whatever the repair is, <laughs> Right, <laughs> which the doesn't make running. It does, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. You know, moving away from that or at the very least, making absolutely sure that the quality parameters are as robust as possible is critical. Now, the best solution is if we had something other than fee-for-service that we could move into as our primary reimbursement model. And that's what, you know, that's what the public payer is trying to do. Medicare, whether it's Medicare Advantage or non-commercial Medicare, uh, has created a whole series of very complex regulatory procedures and also some incentives in terms of how providers are paid. Again, very complex. That is an attempt to catalyze the movement from fee-for-service to shared risk or ultimately decapitation. But it's been tough. It's been tough for two reasons. It's been tough because the regulations are very complex and they vary and they're dynamic depending upon who's in power and you know who's running CMMI and CMS and the, and the various Medicaid MCOs vary from state to state. And then the second thing is the margins, even if you do everything perfectly in terms of, of those new reimbursements, the margins are still very, very low and unless you control your costs in an incredible fashion on the provider side, you're, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble.
0: I'm reminded of the work that we did with chronic disease management, where you're keeping a lot of those people that would show up with congestive heart failure every two to three months in the emergency room. But when we had them in a program where they were being followed, that volume of emergency visits went down.
1: Well, it went down for chronic disease. It didn't go down for lots of other stuff. And, and we also tried to triage uh, people who were dropping in because of mismanaged chronic disease. As you know, we tried to create uh, drop-in clinics that were physically near but not absolutely, you know in the same physical space as our emergency room. Right. Because taking care of chronic disease is fundamentally different than you know taking care of a patient who comes in with a stroke, a new stroke or an ongoing heart attack or other traumatic issues. So we did, you know, we did a lot of things and and we also had an advantage because we had an incredibly uh, large and very, very vital primary care network that we owned. They were our docs, basically. So we could enable them to understand more about where a type one diabetic was in their treatment and we could actually pay them in ways that were linked to how efficient they were at getting the nine things that we thought were important in diabetic care for type Mm -hmm. 1 diabetics, we could actually pay them incrementally up to 20% of their compensation based on whether they accomplished seven, eight, or nine of those things that we showed over two to three years were really effective in decreasing by 20 to 30% the need for emergency care or emergency visits. So
0: I want to talk a little bit about your involvement with Doctivity and your role as chair of the advisory board. Why
1: did you get involved? When I was at Geisinger, I had great respect for the people who are actually in the trenches taking care of patients but there was a level of administration that was between the c-suite and the service lines that was really critical in doing the blocking and tackling and uh, i had great respect for that and i didn't always know the details of what the heck they were doing because I would set the goals with a lot of the leadership. And one of the goals, for instance, was to maximize the the efficiency of our caregiving by looking at markets that were specific markets, whether it was musculoskeletal or cardiac or what have you, mm-hmm. and being able in a real-time basis to see... Uh, how efficient our caregivers were, individual caregivers, in maximizing their own individual penetration into those markets. And then to look at their costs, look at their individual cost profiles. If it didn't get down to that kind of nitty gritty, all this highfalutin stuff with proven care and changing behavior and everything, that couldn't have happened. So, When Kathy and and you and and a couple of other folks came to me about uh, Doctivity, I realized that the products that we were selling in Doctivity were very concrete. It didn't need a change in behavior patterns for the orthopedists that used it or the cardiovascular folks that used it. What it did, regardless of whether you were in in the fee-for-service environment or in a shared risk environment, it gave a huge amount of granularity to understanding, first of all, what the total market was for a given service uh, in a given geography and how much of that market the group in the service line had achieved, but even more granularity into how much an individual provider in that group had achieved and how quickly they achieved it. And then it also had an enabling function that was based on that initial data and the feedback To increase the ability for an individual provider to penetrate a market. And if the provider wasn't penetrating the market, the second consequence of that is how do you help that provider to penetrate the market? And then, of course, the third consequence is if there were things that just weren't repairable, you get rid of the provider. (laughs) (laughs) Right. it's pretty logical. It's not brain surgery or in the, you know, back in the day, rocket science. So, so I mean, but, but it's the granularity and, and it's a very concrete set of products with a consequence of being able to enable maximizing an individual's ability to give care to more patients. And presumably the people that we're selling to all feel that their care is A+, and whether it is or not, the market feeds back. And what we're able to do with our products is to make that feedback very quantitative, to define an upper limit or a ceiling in a given market and then to do repair or to do improvement based on the granularity. It's, and that kind of stuff really appeals to me. I never understood it when I was CEO because CEOs are not supposed to understand that kind of detail, but I knew that it was happening. And when you and Kathy called, I got a little bit more understanding for our particular products and how they would work.
0: Yeah, I think a a key here, and you hit it with the granular level, is that there's a a sea of data and you can be overcome with it. So you really need to focus on the right data and have the analysis that Doctivity does.
1: Well, you know, when we were trying to do, you know, wowie zowie stuff, I always tried to start out concrete, because if you have a concrete use case, you can pretty well figure out early on, whether it's going to be transactable or not. And uh, I mean, a good, a good example is the data that every one of these IDNs collects on patients. You know, th- those data can be anonymized. And you've got a bunch of high-priced consultants running around talking about how the, the data could be very valuable. And then the CFOs of these companies that are under a huge amount of stress for all the reasons we talked about earlier, think about monetizing the data, selling it somewhere to somebody, but they don't, most of them don't have a clue in terms of how it actually can be used in the near term to uh, benefit the, the care that one or another of their service lines is providing. And you got to do that. You've you got to make a very concrete return in the near term by using that data and making it usable. Actionable. That's the key point. And absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Now, ultimately, if, if you're able to show a series of very concrete benefits to service line use of data, and Doctivity is a perfect example of that, then it becomes, as a second phase, an interesting probability that aggregation of data for all of your patient care, particularly if it's anonymized, and particularly if it could be added to other IDNs data, that becomes extraordinarily important to companies like Regeneron. I mean, what we did with with our data, looking at exome sequencing and and trying to find the genetics of almost all of our patients, most of whom had chronic disease, was to figure out what would be a benefit to us and what would be a benefit to Regeneron in their quest for new therapeutics. And, you know, you can do that, but the first use of the data for any IDN, whether it's as big as Geisinger, has to be how does it benefit our caregiving in a very concrete way? That's what Doctivity's products do. Always comes down to the patient, doesn't it? It Comes down to the patient, but it also comes down to understanding how an individual provider is maximizing how his or her care is affecting the patient and how you can maximize the distribution of that to higher market share. Absolutely. And the way that feedback goes to the provider and to the provider's uh, service line leader is critical to going from wherever you are to wherever you want to be, both in terms of revenue generation, as well as uh, in terms of cost analysis and cost mitigation. So before I let you go, where do you see healthcare going from here?
0: What do you see happening in the industry in the coming years?
1: Uh, Post Geisinger, I've continued to to really enjoy interacting and my interaction now is with a lot of really interesting young companies. Some some are public companies, so they're not so young and, and some have significant revenue. But every company that I've chosen to be involved in post Geisinger has been potentially transformative in one way or another. And with all the kerfuffle that is happening now with the stresses that we've talked about, where there's kerfuffle there's opportunity. So I see the transposition of hospital-based care to care in ambulatory settings, care at home has to be one of the huge changes that a lot of these new companies are taking advantage of. And in some cases, partnering with IDNs, in some cases, kind of going in competition with them for certain compartments. That's a big deal. The second thing is, is I, you know, there's no question that the, the kind of innovation that's occurring in technical aspects of caregiving, whether it's CTCA's and AI-enhanced CTCA's, For patients that are presenting with symptoms of coronary artery disease. I mean, things like that will fundamentally change how we do and how much diagnostic catheterizations we do, as an example. And I think that's, I think that, you know, that'll be disruptive, that'll be tough, but ultimately it will happen and it'll be, I think it'll be good for human beings, uh, essentially. I think that there are areas in oncology, areas in musculoskeletal, uh, areas in cardiovascular, areas in endocrine, diabetes, where we'll understand more about uh, cohorts of patients that are at risk and we'll be able to treat at risk and that's a real wonderful thing for biopharma as well because if biopharma can start lowering lipid and preventing heart attacks or what have you it's great for their business model and it's great for the patients who don't have to have their chest cracked or you know have interventional interventional cardiology so and i'm still an optimist otherwise I, I wouldn't be in the game it's disruptive but where there's disruption and where there's aggravation there's huge opportunity
0: challenging time but exciting as well is is there anything else you'd like to mention that we didn't talk about?
1: No, I'm really enjoying working with Doctivity. It's at an early stage of its career, but it does represent, I think, something that was, was created when we were working together. And, and it's, the advantage is it's very concrete. It's a great product. It can prove itself very, very quickly. And it's an immediately understandable benefit at the service line level. And I just I can't emphasize enough that this blocking and tackling improvement is going to help no matter whether you're in a fee for service environment, no matter whether you're in a shared risk environment, what have you. You've got to maximize your your ability to care for more and more patients. No question about that. Thank you, Glenn. We've been
0: talking about financial sustainability, creating value and improving health care with Dr. Glenn Steele. Thanks for listening and watch for our next edition of Actionable Insights on the business of healthcare. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please share, rate, and review it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. For more information on how Doctivity provides actionable insights to drive revenue and improve operational performance, visit DoctivityHealth.com, where you will find our videos, blogs, case studies, and more. See you next time for Doctivity's actionable insights on the business of healthcare.